It's almost like you're talking about two different things and to call them both learning is is a mistake in definition. And that's how I felt. You know, I, I felt like, okay, we have a chance. The potential of my classroom is to create a space and opportunity for authentic learning. So as long as that possibility is there, why would I settle for just having the conventional environment of empty learning? Well, yeah, it's why would you corrupt? Right. Why would you corrupt it? Yeah. I felt like our conversations, I felt like really helped clarify for me that I didn't have to work within It it sort of opened my mind to to realizing that I didn't have to just inherit the structure and go with it and figure out how to work within it. And I think ultimately, like, it's really your fault that that I left teaching. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Welcome to the Unexamined Education. My name is Jonathan Ali. And as always, I'm joined by my friend, Sean Dalrymple. In our conversations, we draw upon our experience as educators to gain insight into the essence of teaching and learning. We hope that our discussions inspire and benefit you, whether you are a teacher, administrator, student, parent, or anyone else that understands the importance of education in the life of the human being. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, John. In today's episode, we want to talk about former students that we've had. And in particular, we're going to talk about our worst students ever and what that means. (laughs) Before we do that, though... I wanted to point out something that I've noticed about myself since we started this podcast, which is that you as a teacher have stayed pretty well connected with your former students. Yeah. I'm sh- I'm sure you probably even have, I'm guessing here, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing you probably have some phone numbers of some former students, maybe some sure. emails. You're able to contact them, probably text them and things like that. And then the larger group of students that that you've had Probably with a Facebook post, you can, you know, quickly get in contact with them, even though, you know, maybe you haven't uh, had any communication for months or years. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I don't have a majority of the students that I've had on Facebook, but but yeah, I have a, a lot, certainly all the students that, that I had a really good connection with. Right, yeah. And so it's really striking to me because I am not connected with any of my former students, like zero. Which is far more professional, by the way. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't think that's true. I mean, I, I don't know which, you know, definition of professional, but I think it's normal for teachers to stay connected with their, their students. Well, I think it's becoming normal, right? So I think like when we grew up, once you were done with the teacher in high school, it would it would have been strange to call that teacher up at the house and yeah, talk to right. the teacher. I guess what I mean, yeah, normal in the social media with social media being a tool available to us. Right, right. Social media has really changed that. Right. But I think at least, I think with the, with email, it probably became pretty normal for students to, to email their teachers and things like that. But anyway, so so one thing that's, yeah, like well, I said, striking uh, to me is, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just think that the, the key about social media was... I think it created a, it created a non-awkward way of keeping up with a student and then five or six years after they've graduated high school and they've like started a family or something and you find out that information all of a sudden you want to you know congratulate them or whatever whatever's going on and it feels it feels more appropriate to reach out to an adult that used to be a student so I think social media has sort of created a bridge from uh, graduation to official, like more adulting that happens for the yeah. for the young person. Right. And so I've reflected on why is it that there's such a big difference between 
between you and me with this. And I think there's some just timeline issues, right? Like I haven't actually been a classroom teacher since 2012 when I resigned from the position at, at the high school where, where we both taught. And then we talked about this in, in our previous episodes about taking a hiatus. And, and then since I've gone back into working at a school, I've been working as an administrator and the school only has very young children. So right. there aren't any you know graduates or former students for me to keep in contact with there. But even taking that into account, you know, it's still a little, there's a huge difference, right? And I don't want to get into a psychoanalysis of myself, although that could be an interesting episode <laughs> in the future <laughs> to, talking about that. But just a couple of things that come to my mind as uh, as reasons are one that just in general, I don't keep in touch with people. Like literally, this is maybe this is too personal, but I'm not in touch with anyone from high school or from like my childhood, my time in the military. I'm not in touch with anyone from the, that time. The people I'm in contact with generally are, are the, the people that either I'm currently working with or have some interaction with on a regular basis or are in the more recent past as far as that's concerned. Like even, you know, our colleagues at the school where we both taught, you're the only one that I'm in contact with <laughs> from that time. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're you're an exception there. So part of it is just I think my personality, and I consider this a character flaw. By the way, I'm not saying this is good. Something that I should that I should work on. But so anyway, considered in that context, I think students would fall into that same kind of you know the not keeping in contact with students could have that same explanation. Right. But anyway, so that's obviously a topic for another day. But it has made me start to think about my former students more right. and wonder what it would have been like to keep in touch with some and and find out how they're doing now. And, and it would re- be really interesting. And, and I would be interested in doing that. So by the way, if there's any listeners, then you were a former <laughs> student of mine, you know, reach out to us on Twitter. <laughs> so I can find out how you're doing. That would yeah, be a really well, we, nice, nice coincidence. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, and, and we did have one, there's a, there's, I think we had one reach out to us who had both of us as teachers. And so those are, yeah, that's a special category there. But right. Yeah. yeah John needs to build up his uh, Facebook friend list. So, you know, <laughs> get rid <laughs> Reach out there. I mean, let's... Yeah. So, but there are some students that I can think of that I would be very hesitant to have any contact <laughs> with them. <laughs> it brings us, brings us to our topic. Yeah, it brings us to our topic of, which we're calling our worst students ever. Right. And and we mean that in, in a very obvious way, but hopefully we're, you know, in our discussion, we can get to the bottom of what does that mean? What causes a student to be someone you would consider to be a, a bad student or one of your worst right. students ever? Right. And this and this differs so much teacher to teacher. There's so yeah. many times where uh, you'll hear about a student who's a terrible student, and then you get that student in class, and you're like, everything's fine. And then, right. and like you, like we had this between us, where I, where I would talk about a, a student that was just awful and made me want to like quit teaching, and then he shows up in your classroom, and you know the next trimester, and you're like, what's the big deal? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a obviously a highly subjective thing that where we I think if we can explore it, we can better understand what's, you know, what's at play behind each teacher's uh, judgment. Right. Yeah. And, you know, some of the important things I I think that we've discussed up until this point are also going to be relevant to this, meaning that it's not, we're not just talking about a teacher isolated in a classroom, you know, with their relationships with the students, but how the institution that the teacher is in affects also the relationships that they have with the students and who they consider to be a good student and a bad student. Yeah. So I'll just start by talking about, you know, something that we've referred to in the past, which was my situation when I began teaching. So I was a brand new teacher, had no experience. This was my first time having my own classes. I had done the student teaching that, that we 
we were required to do. But that was in classrooms of, you know, of, of other teachers. So I talked about how my initial experience was with these classes that the teacher had resigned, their previous teacher, and they'd had substitutes for a matter of, you know, several weeks, and they were just out of control and chaotic. And so I, my job was to go in and take over these classes and try to bring them back to some semblance of academic activity, right, and right. learning and, and discipline. And order. And order. Yeah, exactly. That was yeah. the, really the main task. Right, was, right. This was a pocket of, <laughs> of chaos in the school. That Yeah, they were they were going to let the tech, you know, the standardized test scores go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just they needed somebody to go in there. So all the Stop teachers the, around. Put out that, the fires. Yeah. Put out the fires. And, and so no one else had to worry about these this group of students. Right. So that was my job. And now at the school that we were teaching at, the year was divided into trimesters. Right. right. So so three three semesters, you know, I guess we could say. And this was during the first trimester when I started. And it was kind of getting near the end of the first trimester. So I had that, that first group of students, all those first classes that I had for maybe one or two months or something like that. And then they were gone. And then I got a new set of, of students in all my classes, mostly new set of students. And it was really with that second and third groups of students that I had the most problems. Like with that first yeah. set, you know, it was, you know, and when I think back on why, it was because with that first set, it was hard. No, no, don't get me wrong. It was really hard. But I didn't have a lot of personality clashes with individual students. But I think with right. that second set, I had a reputation now. You know, they had heard from from other kids in the school that this guy's really strict and his class sucks, you know, and you're going to hate it. <laughs> And so those students who had this, you know, had a tendency to create problems for teachers were primed, right? And so probably when they received their <laughs> schedules and they saw, oh, I've got Mr. Ali, they were probably already making their plan of how, how much uh, they were going to torture me. Right. So then that's when I started getting those kinds of students. And for the rest of the year, that's something that I had to deal with. And so I had different kinds of situations. I was threatened once by a student and probably for other teachers who had, I'm sure other teachers have had much worse experiences than this. So so don't think that I'm saying this is the worst it could ever be or whatever. There's probably been teachers who've been assaulted, physically assaulted and things like that, but that never happened to sure. me. But I did have sure. a student once after school, I was sitting in my classroom, my empty classroom, and, and the student came by and he just took his time to stick his head in the door and say, you better watch your back, Mr. Ali, <laughs> like that. <laughs> And then leave. <laughs> and it didn't come across to you just as a friendly warning? No, yeah. It didn't seem like just like, a, you know, friendly advice, like he was concerned for me. It was more like, you know. Uh, <laughs> like he heard you... people talking and he was like, right, well, no, to yeah, right. <laughs> he, he was, was clearly, just... he was presenting himself as the threat to my safety. <laughs> So that was one thing that happened. Fortunately, nothing ever came of that. And I developed a decent positive relationship with that student later on in the year. So I think he was just having a bad day and he decided to take it out on me or something. Right. But I've also had I had students who would physically in the classroom when I was directing them or ordering them, commanding them to do something, right, as in order to get control of the classroom, you know, who would, for instance, in a really kind of posture that's normally associated with, with the way you'd stand in front of someone when you're about to fight, right? Oh, right. <laughs> or, or you're yeah. implying that you're about to fight. I've had students, you know, bigger than me, right? So we're tough, talking- Tough up to junior. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that, yeah, that pre-fight stance with me. <laughs> And so I've been in situations like that, but yeah. actually that I don't consider those my worst students. Let me hear, hear what you think about this. But like the worst student that I want to want to talk about is 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 a girl. She was it was a female student who never threatened me, right? Never Im indicated any kind of physical conflict you know, between me and her. But what she threatened, she threatened my control of the classroom. Right. And and yeah. that caused me so much stress yeah. to the point where I think every teacher has these kinds of students where when they're absent, you just, it's just like the weight of the world has been lifted off your shoulders. Right. Right. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I understand that kind of <laughs> student. You know, we've talked 
you know, I've, I've talked to you a lot about um, um, one young man who did make things really difficult for me. And he, you know, he, he, he physically threatened me, but I, I with you, am uh, more troubled by the student who, who threatens the control. And right. I, I remember one year, and I don't even think I've told you about this student, because I've mm. been sort of keeping it on reserve uh, for this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, good. <yeah. laughs> but... I remember we hit spring break and I remember like hitting spring break and being like, God, thank God, you know, I'd have a a week (laughs) off. But then like all of spring break was basically ruined because I kept thinking about how bad it was going to be to go back in there. Yeah. Uh, and and lose control to this to this young man. I need to give him a code name. Yeah, we'll call him the musician. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yeah, and, and and it's funny because that was maybe year one or year two where I had him, and uh, certainly I, I can relate to that. Is that that loss of control? What would he who, do? Like like how would he challenge your control? <laughs> <laughs> well, he challenged my control by openly criticizing the way I would teach things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would, I would come in with a lesson and I was always very loose about lessons. I never liked to, you know, script out 74 minutes of work. The class period links were 74 minutes. Yeah. I never liked scripting out 74 minutes of work. And I just, I, I would like to see how things would develop once we started, started off the day yeah. and got into a topic. And, you know, if we had things we had to get done, then we had to get had to get them done. Uh, and I was a lot of, you know, d- discussion and lecture. It's really a lot of what I do now. I just was really new at it. Yeah. Uh, and he would, and he would say out loud, and it's such a weird way of <clears throat> rebelling. He would say out loud in class, like, why would you teach it this way? You ought to do <laughs> this, this, and this. And like a little teacher in training. Uh, right. <laughs> Who would come up? And he had, and the worst part about it was he had good ideas, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. He would say he would say things, and then I would be like, "Well, that's a good idea," but now I can't do it because it right. just looks like doing what you tell me. So I've totally lost that uh, that ability to feel in control, uh, even if was I'm this, the yeah yeah. Was this a, a GT student? No, no, it, oh, it was okay. not a GT. I never had trouble with the GT students because I had I had them for multiple years and they all they were a lot more the gt students this is gifted and talented for anyone who's not familiar with that you know they've been identified right as as special cases that need their own classroom and interestingly enough it's not a general thing but i never ran into a gt student that wouldn't come around under the peer pressure of all the other GT students. Right. So there was there was a group mentality there that always succeeded. Yeah. And I, I certainly had GT classes that were very challenging, but they're always challenging in these sort of strange ways where they just they would just push for doing something more interesting or fun than they thought we were going to have. Uh, so it yeah. wasn't yeah it wasn't ever really a disrespectful but. But they they outwitted me plenty, but it wasn't, you know, if you just had the right attitude, it was no big deal. It was like, you know, you're dealing with this group. But but no, this was a, uh, I don't remember if this was a a pre-AP kid or it would have been a pre-AP kid, right? So um, selected for that or self-selected for that. A sophomore? Yeah, a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, because I I, I think I only had GT, yeah, I only had GT and pre-AP that, those first two years. And it was certainly in that, in that era. Yeah. It's interesting it's a, you mentioned the the group influence of the GT classes and the the peer pressure there because I think this gets to the 
also the the core of why I felt threatened by my worst student ever, which I'll call her Melody. And my apologies, <laughs> yeah, my yeah, apologies yeah. to anyone out there with the actual name Melody. Yeah, uh, and I'll, yeah. Well, you know, but, I should say that I I already knew your code name, and I feel yeah. like I maybe cheated a little by throwing musician out there. But right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you know. Now I, I was thinking like Melody is contrasts with the you know the actual experience that I had with this student but then I was thinking <laughs> right. I should have I should have called her harmony because that's even more of a contrast right but right but anyway let's go with melody because I already picked that so <laughs> so melody like I said <laughs> we could edit it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but it's melody actually sound well sounds more like the actual name anyways <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> it'll be easier for me to keep you know keep in my mind yeah. it'll be easier for her to when she hears it to know <laughs> yes yeah so uh, yeah actually if if the if melody is listening i although i'm listing you as my worst stu- worst student ever i'm the one who's going to come out the worst from this this analysis so i, I think you can be um, comforted by that and and the thing was the thing about melody was that she didn't it wasn't so much that she was against me personally it was that she had control over the class that was right, the thing right. she had she could influence the class if she was in a good mood if she liked something then the rest of the class would like it you know <laughs> If she felt something was <laughs> you mean annoying, like one of your and, lessons, yeah, like one of my lessons, yeah, or okay. me, you know, if okay. if she felt something was <laughs> was annoying or stupid or boring, <laughs> then she could very quickly turn the class against it. Not even like she she wasn't even trying to do that, but just by expressing how she felt. I don't know what it, she's just like a natural leader, charismatic person, uh, and right. and frustratingly so because because her style of charisma was a very raw sort of un, unstudied kind of charisma that <laughs> that like you know you would hope as an adult as a college educated teacher you know who's who's thought a lot about behavior and classroom management and these kinds of things that that you could or at least I you know I and and armed with my knowledge of the subject and the content armed with my desire to sincerely teach kids that I would be able to counteract whatever she's doing right but what I found right. time after time is that my the tools that I had at my disposal and granted I was a first year teacher and I had there was at a big big disadvantage because of that and lots of other disadvantages that we've we've talked about like being new at a school is also a disadvantage Right. The students have been at that school longer than me, right. <laughs> right? which immediately hurts your your credibility. Yeah. So there's lots of things. But when she would say something or express something in the class, it had an immediate effect on the on the class, the, the, the other students. And it, I would just have this sinking feeling. There's nothing I can do. I can't control this. You know, I would just have to survive her for that right. class period. And, and so right. like if she came in and she was like she seemed to be in a pensive mood, like not talkative, it really made things a lot easier. <laughs> but that was pretty rare. But if she came in. You know, she would come in and like be in this like boisterous, you know, like uh, gregarious mood where, you know, like as soon as she came into the classroom, she would go start talking to like multiple students and not of any particular clique. She was also the type of person whose friendliness transcended, you know, right. cliques and groups. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, yeah. uh, she had all these these qualities that made her, you know, like a really influential and, and powerful person and presence in the class. Right. And I think this combined with the fact that she did come to my class with with a bad attitude about me probably because something you know another student had told her really yeah just made it impossible to control the class like the the difference between when she was there and when she was not there was like night and day and actually that that's what made me feel better is because when she was when she wasn't there class would go so much more smoothly like like I would be yeah. able to actually connect with these other students in a way that when when she was there I couldn't they would disconnect from me because of her presence so yeah it was really stressful probably affected my sleep 
my digestive <laughs> digestive health. <laughs> like it affected yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, I it's funny like I've seen some some photos of myself from that time in the first year of teaching and I was like so skinny. I I don't think I've ever been that skinny in in you know my entire life. And like I really think it was because of the stress and and particularly <laughs> the stress of this one I'm not going to pin everything on her, but but she really represents the kind of thing that that uh, made my job hard during that first year. Yeah, well, and you know the <laughs> just real quickly to add to the the stress that first year teaching does is that my my hair was falling out <laughs> oh. first years of teaching, and it, yeah, yeah, and and I I. I earned a bald spot that I, that, you know, never grew back. And there's not really anyone in my family with a bald spot. So really? <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> the, the stress is real. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's so funny because the, I, I felt like one of the things that I got from you in those, and maybe it wasn't the very first year, but, uh, one of the things you said that really stuck with me, which was so enlightening, uh, and maybe this is where you're going with this is that, is that it was all like you, you had to, everything that was happening, you somehow were able to say like, this isn't about them. It's about me. And right. I, mean, I don't want to do too much of a spoiler there, but like I was super impressed with that, that you were able to like take your ego out of it. Uh, not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But in our moments of like conversation, I, I was never, I shouldn't say never, but I, I always had a much more difficult time uh, taking my ego out of these things. Um, and like the, that you went through that year and then you came back the second year. I look back on that and I'm like, dang. Hey guys, <laughs> yeah, no, it it wasn't because of any dedication to teaching, really. It was because of <laughs> financial circumstances. <laughs> so I should have been like, "Dang, that guy's desperate!" Instead of like, yeah. "Dang, that guy's impressive." <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> and you know, just the kind of like the kind of um, hope that a summer break can give you. Right. <laughs> to think right. the kind of hope that a reset, you know, because it's like I remember that first trimester when I had that first group of kids who whose teachers teacher resigned. Right. Yeah. What I the hope that I always had and other teachers would tell me is like, don't worry in the new tr- you, when the new trimester right. starts, you'll have right. a new group right. of kids and you'll just be able to yeah. start fresh. And I was like, yeah. OK, yeah, that's not that makes sense. But then, you know, I got that <laughs> second group and they all came in like like even some of them just said it out loud. Like when they came into my classroom, they're like. Like, oh, I heard about this guy, you know, he's so strict and his <laughs> class sucks. You know, like they were actually talking about this on the first day of class. Yeah. And I would say the third group was maybe a little better because I think it's within, during that second trimester that you and I started. Because once once I realized that this is not getting better, right, once once that, that hope of a second group, you know, was, was gone, that's when I, right. I think, you know, there was a particular conversation that you and I had where I was telling you about it. I was like, look, you know... <laughs> help me. <laughs> this isn't getting better. Right. And then, you know, you gave me the advice of kind of just working on my image. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which was really good yeah. advice. And that helped a lot. And I think even whatever sort of image repair I did during that second trimester helped a little bit in the third trimester, although it was negligible. It was it wasn't a dramatic effect, but it helped a little bit. And so I was hoping, yeah, in the second year, you know, I, I guess that gave me some hope that I was like, OK, then I can just gradually fix this. And it was true. Once that the, that group of students who had that bad impression of me, especially once they left the school, it was like I had right. a clean slate yeah. and, and I could yeah. just, you know, re, redo my reputation. And uh, well, and they were, were they juniors your first year? Uh, sophomores and juniors. Sophomores I had mostly and sophomores. 
sophomores. Yeah, mostly sophomores, okay. though. Yeah. Okay. So you had a solid three years of, <laughs> of their judgment. Yeah. And another problem was in my second year of teaching, I had probably more juniors than, than the first year, right? And so there, <laughs> so it was the same class that I had so many problems with the year before. So my second year was also pretty tough Yeah. because of that. I would say my third year is when things started getting to a point where I was like, okay, I'm not the most hated teacher at the school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's good. It's yeah. good. And it's not because and it's not because someone worse came in, right? It's it was, no, yeah, it was I improvement. Don't think so. <laughs> right. It was improvement. It was a yeah, genuine improvement. Yeah. There were some students who liked me. You know, that was so, one indication. Yeah. So so how did Melody like what did Melody show you about yourself? I think, yeah, like what it made me reflect on is is okay, like a couple of things. One thing is it showed me my lack of power, lack of actual power in the classroom. It showed me that that whatever power I actually had was going to be because the students allowed me to have it, right? There's no way I, I, I just felt there's no way I can I don't know if it's because of, you know, myself. I'm not saying no one can do that. No teacher can can dominate through force and just impose their will upon their class. There may be some teachers like that, although I suspect that there's also some uh, games that they have to play to get that to happen. Like, for instance, one game that, that teachers often play is that they, they get in good with enough of the class to where those students who, who don't like them don't have a voice or they don't have a strong enough voice, kind of like the peer pressure uh, group mentality that you mentioned with, with GT. And this is like the whole, not that you were doing that, I'm not saying, but, but one teacher technique is, is to be strict, but to play favorites, right? And, I, and that's somewhat effective, but, but I didn't want to do that. And so I guess what I realized is that I can't dominate the the class, right? Like I, I can't impose my will on them. Uh, I realized that that there had to be some, you know, you, you could put it different ways, like winning them over, creating that relationship, or whatever you want to say. But but they have to like you, right? They have to right. um, decide that they want to listen to you, or that it's in their interest to listen to you, and and to go along with what you with with what you want to do. Now that can lead to its own issues, like we talked about. With you could become like a guru, or you right. could become you, it could just become all about your ego because you then you can just engage in tactics where you're just trying to charm and influence and manipulate. Right. So yeah, like I also decided that I didn't want to do that. And in fact, I don't know which year of teaching it was that I, I got to this point, but at a certain point I got to the, I came to this idea that on the first day of class when I had students, I needed to present to them three different possibilities of how my class can go. And really it, the way I presented it really left only one option in the end, because I would say that the relationship that we have could either be the relationship between, and I used, I hope this is not offensive to people because I'm thinking back on this now at that time, but a snake charmer, right, which right. kind of has cultural implications or whatever, but basically a charmer where the, the ones being charmed are just the objects of manipulation, right? Like the one charming is just someone who's mastered uh, pushing the buttons and, and you know, manipulating like like a puppet master, right? Right. Like you know what to say, you know how to do it, you know whatever to get them to do what you want them to do, even though if you you think it's for their own good or whatever. Well, and you know, I remember when you first were explaining these archetypes to me. Yeah, I was very sensitive to that one because I thought you were thinking about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't at all. <laughs> but but no, I mean, but that that but I think that's something that I learned how to do for sure. Yeah, uh, and and uh, it's this charm and using you know using one's abilities to gain favor to just get get the things done and sort of just maintaining what needs to get done throughout the year right, right. Uh, yeah so yeah so I thought of, it was uh, yeah. a, a great I <laughs> great <laughs> although I was uh, somewhat sensitive to it 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, this is expressed in different ways. For instance, if a teacher ever feels like they've got the, the students eating out of their hand, right? <laughs> like if this is kind of an expression that they might use, it's basically the idea of the students are these kind of wild creatures and you could either subdue them with the whip, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Or you could kind of subdue them by being like a, a kid with a student whisperer, right? Where, you know, you, you do all the right things and then you sort of train them to respond to you. But I always felt like, first of all, I felt like this is not something I'm very good at. Right. And But then second, I felt like it's it's ethically it's ethically problematic because it puts it it's a, it necessitates seeing the students as objects to be manipulated right yeah so then the second the second possible relationship that i presented to them was the relationship of the prison guard and the prisoner right and so basically that idea is just that the prison guard gets his way through threats physical manipulation to a large extent but also bribes and threats basically like yeah. through fear and and hope for some kind of privilege you know so i'd present them with that and and the the powerful thing about this is that when i would describe these relationships, the, the students would immediately apply them to the experiences that they had in other classrooms. And there was no need to convince them that these were real relationships. Right. Because they knew as soon as I described it, they were like, yeah, that's right. That's the thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's going on in my other class. Right. And then so I said, and, you know, I would point out different problems with that from my point of view. Right. I would say, OK, like as soon as I turn my back, I might get shanked you know, is what I would say, <laughs> like in the class. <laughs> because if you're doing what I'm saying, it's it's because I'm applying these, you know, mechanisms of control on you. And as soon as I show any sign of weakness or inability to apply those, then it's, you know, it's going to be to my harm. Right. So I would say, look, I don't want to do this one because it's it's not only it objectifies you like the first one does, but it also is risky for me. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I would tell them, like, it's also both of these first ones, they require a level of energy I don't have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I would be very upfront with them with that. I'm like, I can come in here and, and be like high energy for a couple of days, maybe a week or something like that. But it's going to reach a point where I just, I just can't do it anymore. I'm not that type right. of person. <laughs> right. So then I would say like our last option is is a partnership, you know, that we're just partners in, in this and what we're trying to do. So I, I would say that experiences with students like Melody led me to this because I, I realized that with a student like that, yeah, I'm not saying no one could, but I don't want to. There's a, a a mixture for me of, of not wanting to and not being able to interact with, with her in a class in that in those ways, right? Which would yeah. otherwise be effective. And so I just got to the point where I, I realized there's only one way I want to be a teacher. And and that happens to also be the way that, that most matches my abilities, <laughs> right? Which is a <laughs> partnership. So that we're we're sort of I don't have to convince the students that what we're doing is valuable to them, that they come with that or they arrive at that on their own. And that also I don't have to force them into doing things because I don't want to force them into doing things. I don't want to apply those those tools of manipulation and, and, and control. So for about, I guess, three or four years, you know, when I was teaching at, at that school, I, I would introduce this concept. We even we actively discussed it like on a daily or weekly basis. And, and that was really my, you know, that became the focus of my teaching, really, this meta effort of, of trying to establish a partnership with my students rather than one of those other two relationships. And Were I you... Yeah, go ahead. No, you should finish your thought. Oh, yeah. So I was just saying it to various degrees of success. And that's what, what got me to redefining what 
to me is a is a bad student is is based on you know trying to establish the partnership. Now, by year two, had you dropped the rules and consequences thing as well? I think largely, yeah, or at least I had made them much less prominent because right. in, in the first year, that was like the thing that I tr- tried to establish on the first day is this is what I expect, and here's the consequences if if those these expectations are not met. So yeah, I moved away from that. You and I also jointly developed some ideas about presenting the concept of the struggle. You know, like that the important thing is the struggle, and yeah, so. Like I, yeah, I started gradually changing my presentation of my class and and introducing the students to my class. Well, and I would say that another thing that you said that I thought was really impactful for me is that you, I think you still had the rules, but you also had this speech that was about rules are a substitute for credibility, and they're a bad substitute for credibility. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was yeah. Later, as I was developing that idea of the of the partnership and everything, yeah, I got to that point where yeah, my whole thing, I, I just got fixated on correcting the dysfunctional structure of class, and that became my main goal. And because I I got I became convinced that if I didn't do that, then every then it didn't matter what else we did. Yeah. It was really just pointless. Not absolutely pointless. <laughs> you know, I'm not not that extreme, but but like I said, and. And I mentioned this this sentiment in a previous episode that like when we're talking about the difference between authentic learning and I don't know what else you want to coerced learning or learning that's done that it, that's void of authentic interest and curiosity and you know seeing it as 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 something that a person the learner needs the difference between the authentic type of learning and and this other let's call it empty learning <laughs> you know for lack of a better term I don't know if we ever named it is so big that that it's almost like you're talking about two different things and to call them both learning is is a mistake in definition right and that's how I felt you know I, I felt like okay we have a chance the potential of my classroom is to is to create a space and opportunity for authentic learning so as long as that possibility is there why would I settle for just having the conventional environment of empty learning. Well, yeah, it's why would you corrupt? Right. Why would you corrupt it? Right. Yeah. You really, yeah. I mean, I, I felt like our conversations, I felt like really helped clarify for me that I didn't have to work within the, it, it sort of opened my mind to, to realizing that I didn't have to just inherit the structure and go with it and figure out how to work within it. And I think ultimately, like, it, it's really your fault that, that I left teaching. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> because, I mean, because it was, it, because these things that you were pointing out were like so obvious and it was also became increasingly obvious why nothing would change on a on a larger scale right and and i think it's it's perfect that this these ideas developed from from students who were the you know so-called worst students Right, right, and and really, what that did was that shine that shine that light on the corrupt system that they had inherited as well, and they were the ones who were going through it, and we were the ones perpetuating it. Right, and and in a lot of ways, you can look back on those students, not all of them. I mean, I think some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Really were bad. <laughs> yeah, I think some of them really like had it out, had it out for us. But it's really tough to judge students who are acting up uh, when they find themselves in this position year after year. Yeah, of uh, of being objectified. It, it's, yeah. it gets increasingly difficult to blame students for bad behavior. Right. right, exactly. Like it's it's like blaming prisoners for their bad behavior. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Expecting prisoners well, it, it, to to act at like at least prisoners did something yeah. to get into prison. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like at least there's, in theory, 
Uh, and, and I'm sure in, in most cases, at least there was some cause that put them into this oppressive system. But right. But, but even, yeah, if you, was... even if you imagine uh, like a prison full of innocent people or let's say unjustly imprisoned people, maybe from from the point of view of the law, <laughs> they did something wrong. But maybe that was like civil disobedience or something. Right. Right. You had a prison okay. full of Henry David Thoreau's. Right. right? Now. <laughs> Now, would you expect them to just comply with the rules of the prison just out of courtesy? <laughs> no, no, of course no, not. No, they, they would have to be forced. Not, not, right? not people who are already c- civilly disobedient. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the... My my point is like this: the structure itself of a prison, even if you take like the most law-abiding people and you force them into that kind of structure of control and domination, it would it would take a pretty you know it it would it would not be virtuous for that person to just like submit to that even without the presence of a prison guard or someone threatening them or someone coercing them. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and it's like when I look back on on the student that I was talking about, Melody, I don't consider her. Yeah, this 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 is the tension that it caused in in me the conflict it caused is that I could see why the other students liked her you know yeah I could see that the good qualities that she had and and they genuinely liked her really like and it was it was always surprising to me <laughs> because I I disliked her so much. I couldn't imagine. I was just waiting, you know, in the worst times, I was just waiting for the rest of the class to realize how terrible of a person she was. <laughs> yeah. But they never did, right? Yeah, yeah. And now when I look back on it, I realize it's because she wasn't a terrible person. <laughs> it was just, she was causing such a problem for me. That's why I saw her as this terrible person. Yeah, so my apologies to Melody, although I would like for her to apologize to me as well <laughs> for, all the, <laughs> for all the problems that she caused. <laughs> I think it should be a mutual. Kind of well, I, actually, I think I think she uh, she she owes you a, a you're welcome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, it's your it's, ter- it's your turn to submit entirely. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I I I'm trying to get there with the musician too. Uh, you know, it's funny the 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 distinction I think with this young man was that he was not well liked. He was not charismatic. Yeah, uh, it was it wasn't a competition for for who was better liked in the classroom. Right. It was a like pointed and seemed to be strategic move by him to undermine confidence within myself. Yeah. And and I I don't really know what to make of it. I still don't know what to make of it. I still, I'm about to ask you who's your worst student now, or at least your theoretical worst student. And I'm still struggling with the musician here. And maybe you can help me out because I feel like you've done that before. But yeah, it's almost like he was telling me, you're not a very good oppressor. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or you're not a very, not oppressor. You're not a very good snake charmer. You need to right. be a much better snake charmer, right? Because right, his yeah. criticisms were always about my lessons and how open-ended and non-directive and and, <laughs> and, and uncreative they were. So, so yeah. So, so you were getting evaluated every day, like observed and evaluated. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was getting evaluated by somebody who is probably a principal of a school right now or a superintendent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, like when I'm thinking about that situation, I think that obviously there must be something motivating him 
there must have been something motivating him to to treat you that way, right? Which could be uh, like getting back, you know, like he's he he sees some weakness in a teacher, right? It doesn't really matter right. who it is, and he 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 you know uses that moment to strike and probably gain some take some power back <laughs> from the school. right. And, and you know, and I I know things about his home life that I'm not going to share that I'm sure contributed to some yeah. of the uh, the ways that he approached me, but but these are. You know, they're they're in the end they're kids, right? I mean yeah. they're they're young adults, yes, they're young men and women, but they're kids from the standpoint of we haven't given them their agency yet. Right. Uh, we haven't turned it over, even if they're old enough to do so. Right. And <laughs> I find that <laughs> that failure to do anything but <laughs> forgive or maybe not forgive. What was the dead poets thing? Um pardon. Right? Pardon, yeah. Just yeah, just pardon the difficulties. Failure to do anything less than that is 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 a unhealthy way of proceeding through educating uh, young people. Right. Yeah. So, so what's your what's your worst student now? The worst theoretical student? Because I have a worst theoretical student now. Right. Yeah. I mean, my worst theoretical student. I would say the last year teaching at that school when I was uh, implementing this kind of model and trying to create it in the classroom, the worst student then that I could have is is someone who apparently goes along with the idea of being a partner in the classroom. Yeah. But then at crucial moments reveals that they were just playing a game. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, there's there's not one in particular that I you know that I can bring to mind like that because it actually was it was more prevalent than I would like to admit it was probably the majority of the students <laughs> seemed to be that way but it I don't know you know I could say it was worth it because of the handful of students who who got it and and right. I think benefited from it but yeah that became my worst student is the one who's who submits to when I'm not asking them to submit right they they submit by by trying to be who uh, I'm asking them to be when when I'm actually trying to do is liberate them from that dynamic right what about for you yeah I mean I I, I do think for me now and I've I've spent many years now so I mean since I started teaching I've been fortunate to stay with students for multiple years yeah and and, and I think the most difficult student to have uh, is that student who who year after year puts the onus on me this is like the empty vessel student puts the onus yeah. on me to get them somewhere right yeah and <laughs> this actually connects to the musician maybe I'm a terrible <laughs> teacher right yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but, I was going to say that. He's like the example of the empty vessel student. Well, yeah, except that <clears throat> he was he was not an empty vessel. He had a lot of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. He wasn't passive but, enough. Right. He wasn't passive enough. But I think that passive student is is really difficult to uh, even when you have the student for year after year. It's difficult to get that student to to find to find an interest and to like as soon as a student finds an interest in class i feel like okay we can just we can run with this this is like yeah. the story uh, of dave right we we got to figure out how to make this work yeah and and you know it's the effort is worth it but those students who just who come in and have cleared their minds i think are the the most difficult by far because even the rebellious student even the students that puff up and and all of that that that's all like understandable human behavior uh, yeah. and so i think this this empty vessel student is is the least understandable person that's in front of me maybe would you say it's the the one who has been the most damaged by the institution 
Yeah, and, and it might be. I, I think we when when we first posited the empty vessel student, we did posit that it has to do with the training yeah. of the student to empty his or her mind going into class and give over all control to the teacher without without objection or perspective. Right. Yeah. All right, Sean. So I'm sure we could go on a little longer about talking about our worst students ever. Ever, I know I can because I, maybe I have a longer list than you do. <laughs> but I think the most, Im- yeah, I, I think the- I, you, <laughs> I still haven't told the story of the fight I broke up or participated in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that wasn't really my students, so I right, left it yeah, out, but yeah, that'll be yeah, that's a different topic because I've got some that's things like that topic, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a different topic. That's yeah, like we got- enforcing. Yeah, that's like being an enforcer in the school. Yeah, we'll, we'll table that. Yeah, yeah. But that's good. They can tease that. Yeah. Like the police role of the teacher. Right. Right. Babysitter, (laughs) police. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I think one, you know, interesting thing that I think we can continue, especially in the in our coming conversations is just this idea of of power and control and authority in the classroom and in the dynamics between the teacher and the students and and the the school in general. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to explore there. And and we'll do that in, in the future discussions that we have. So thank you, Sean. And we thank our listeners again for joining us and we're looking forward to the next discussion. All right. Thanks, John.